I've always loved that man, personally. I use this facial cream to keep me looking young. How many of you think I need to apply for a refund right now? Hey, uh, just one quick thing. At the end of this year, October, November, Kay and I will be leading a tour, a trip to London and then to Israel. Come along and uh, there's a notice in your bulletin about that if you'd like some more information. I think there's a high possibility we might have some fun. We're continuing this While You Were Sleeping series this weekend and the title of this message is Standing on Our Knees. We're going to have a look at Matthew 26 and verse 36. So let's jump in. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. One of the greatest challenges that I faced when I first became a Christian was that I felt an immediate pressure, now that I was a Christian, to be happy all the time. I felt like I needed to have this sense of a fixed grin on my face at all times, that I, now I was a follower of Jesus, I was supposed to be on the edge of ecstasy, continuously, always, with a tambourine within reach, so that I might headbutt it and celebrate my joy. Back then, back then, there was a pretty simple equation in our minds. Life without Jesus equals unhappy. Life with Jesus equals happy. That's it. In fact, we even had some badges. Anyone remember these badges? Smile. Jesus loves you. And uh, I, I kind of, I struggle a bit sometimes with smiling. You may not have noticed this, but I've got a, I've got a wonky smile. A wonky smile. That's an English word. Everyone say wonky. It means slightly kind of twisted and weird. Uh, I've got a nose that can see around corners and a wonky smile because I flew over the top of the handlebars of my bike when I was about eight. And so when I smile, you know, it's kind of a little weird. But I felt this incredible pressure to continuously smile. And then as a young pastor, I, um, I hit about a year of uh, clinical depression. Panic attacks, waking up in the middle of the night feeling like I was drowning in the dark. It was tough. And some of you understand exactly what I mean when I say not only did I feel bad, but I felt bad because I felt bad. It was even worse being a Christian because I felt like there was something fundamentally deficient about me because I was battling this 
depression. What I didn't realize back then is that the Bible talks continuously about some of the greatest people of faith who also had to navigate their way through times of sadness and indeed depression. The stigma that we attach to these issues is quite irrational. Jeremiah lamented this weeping prophet struggled with depression. Elijah, who called down fire from heaven and, 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 and raised the dead. Anyone raise the dead this week? Just think back over your week. Anyone? Waking your teenage son up in the morning doesn't count. Although it almost takes as much faith, I know that. This guy has really seen the epic power of God. And then Jezebel, the Cruella de Vil of the Old Testament, shows up. And he runs for his life and then he prays for death, which is kind of weird and irrational, but that's what you do when you're depressed. It doesn't always flow logically as you would like. And, and there was the Apostle Paul who wrote to the contentious Corinthians and says... In our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. I mean, imagine that as a newsletter from a major ministry. Greetings, prayer partners. We've been feeling like death this week. Hallelujah. And I talked quite a bit about it publicly, wrote about it. And then I said this, and some people freaked out. I said, Jesus got depressed. People went, what? Jesus? You see, the reaction indicates the lingering stigma as if somehow it would be wrong for Jesus, the Son of God, to be depressed. But that's exactly what is happening here in Gethsemane. This is the, this is the last episode where the earthly Jesus, pre-cross and resurrection, spent time with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, a, a, a garden of twisted trees located on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives. And he is in deep struggle and sadness. Various paraphrases and translators try and sum up the feeling that's going on here in Jesus' heart. J.B. Phillips says, terrible distress and misery. Weymouth says, crushed with anguish. Others render this to mourn and to tremble. Jesus says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is not, I'm sick to death of this. You ever said that? I'm sick to death of this. This is much more than that. It is as if there is such a sadness shrouding his soul that he thinks is going to kill him. Now, why is he so sad? Let's just reflect on that for a moment. First of all, there's a sense in which Jesus is on death row right now. He knows what is Ahead, He has calibrated himself. He is navigating towards the cross. And uh, it's horrifying. In preparation for this message this week, I watched an hour-long documentary about the last 24 hours of, of a prisoner's life when they're on death row. I was bewildered and nauseated and impacted by the sense of isolation and loneliness that there is in that 24-hour period. Jesus is steering his way through something like that. And then there's the pressure that we can't even begin to understand. I, I, my brain throws us a, a fuse when I try and think about 
Jesus carrying the burden of the sins of the world upon him. I mean, just try and get your head around that for a moment. Every evil action and thought, despicable thing, somehow in a mysterious way that we can't even begin to start to grasp. Some of that, not some of it, all of it is being loaded on him. And then there's temptation here as well. Don't think that Jesus was ushered into the wilderness, Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of his ministry, was tempted there, passed the test, and then moved on. It's not the way it is, because at the end of the temptations, the Bible says that Satan withdrew, waiting for a more opportune time. There was ongoing temptation taking place. The primary temptation being to back away from the cross. That's why when Peter says, this should never happen to you, Jesus, immediately Jesus comes back and he says something shocking. He says, get behind me, Satan, because he knows the source of the comment. And it's not just Peter shooting his mouth off again. There's something darker beneath the surface. Here in Gethsemane, he is facing a very real temptation. He doesn't want to drink this this terrible cup of pain. He is struggling. This weekend, when we think about people who have given their lives, we need to understand that Jesus does not march towards the cross with the classic set jaw of the hero. He is genuinely struggling. But in his struggle, he prays. He prays. Sometimes in trouble, we don't. Are you like me? Sometimes when I'm in trouble, I pray more. And sometimes when I'm in trouble, I pray less because I want to leave room for panic. Anyone identify with that? Jesus prays, and there's much to teach us from his praying. Now, can I just say before we really jump into this, and some of you are looking at the bulletin thinking, man, there's five points there. We haven't even got into one yet. This I can see that in your faces. You're going, move on, move on, move on. It's going to be okay. It's all right, honestly. I've done this twice already, so it's going to be all right. If a pastor or a preacher, if he or she wants to intimidate their congregation, all they have to do is stand up and say something like this. Today we're going to talk about prayer. Everyone ducks. Oh my gosh. Because we all think that we don't do very good at it. If you want to make a collective group of people feel guilty, just say, prayer. I want this message not to intimidate or overwhelm, but to be helpful. So let's dive in here. First point. If we're going to be people of prayer, let's establish a discipline. Let's establish a discipline. Verse 36 says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Okay, so he's in, he's in this uh, Gethsemane season, this period of, of great distress. But he doesn't just resort to prayer then. Jesus had a regular pattern of prayer woven into his life. Beginning of his ministry, a baptism. We see him praying, and as he prays, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Sometimes he would get up and pray very early in the morning while it was still dark. He spent a whole night on a mountainside in prayer before he chose the twelve apostles. So major decision, major prayer. 
uh, and he prayed for others as well, that people came to Jesus, they brought their children, that he might bless them, that he might pray for them. He prayed for Peter. Did you know that you were on Jesus' prayer list? Prayed for you, prayed for me. John 17, he prayed for all those who would follow him. That includes that includes us. And he had these lengthy times of prayer, but they weren't always lengthy. In fact, Jesus confronted the Pharisaic idea that the only good prayer was a long prayer. The Pharisees believed if you were going to pray, you better pray long. And Jesus confronted that. Has anyone ever tried to stay up all night and pray? Um, I've tried that. In fact, when I, again, when I was a young pastor, a bunch of pastors in our city, we got together and we said, we need God to do something in this city. This is absolutely true. So we said, we're going to lock ourselves away and we're going to pray until we feel like we've got a breakthrough. And we, uh, it was all men on that occasion. We said to our wives, those of us that were married, we said, honey, we, we, we don't know when we're going to be back. It may be three hours. It may be three days. It may be three weeks. And our wives looked at us and went, right, good. And so we gathered and we began the great prayer meeting. And two hours later, I had a revelation. I felt like the Lord was saying, that's enough, boys. Go home and have supper. I'm not very good with all-night prayer for reasons that uh, I'll explain a little further as we go. There are times when Jesus prayed through the night, but in Gethsemane, his words are relatively few, at least the ones that are recorded. But whether it's long prayer or short prayer, we'll need discipline. I don't, discipline. Discipline. It's a word we don't like, isn't it? I'm developing a new diet. It's going to be a bestseller based on cheese. Look out for this. It's going to be across the nation. I mean, you know, if you call this toll-free number right now, and there's more. We'll, we'll give you two. It's going to be like that. Based around cheese. Cheeseburgers and cheesecake. I think it's going to be a winner. That's my kind of diet, baby. Yes, I feel I can give myself to that. You see, we don't like discipline that demands something of us. Stephen Travis says, In the modern church, qualities such as perseverance and loyalty are in short supply. In an age of instant coffee and instant glue, we don't take easily to the pain of sticking to unglamorous tasks or developing a discipline in prayer. But as Samuel Chadwick said, all God's things are grown things. He's never in the ready-made business. We need to pray. We need to choose to pray. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I, my best praying is done when I'm walking. Do you know why I walk and pray? It's because it's really hard to fall asleep when you're walking. I know that's genius, isn't it? You don't normally walk down the street and just go... <coughs> so I walk and, and pray, and I was thinking about it yesterday. When I pray, I turn my murmuring into thanksgiving. When I pray, I take anxiety and turn it into petition. I take my independence and reframe it into trust. When I pray, I settle matters. The language of Gethsemane is that Jesus 
to interpret the Greek most accurately, made a definite prayer and completed it. There was a, there was a junction moment of final connection, yes to the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross following a committee meeting with the boys. What do you think, Peter? Shall I, shall I, let's vote. No. It was in the place of prayer that that was settled. We can do that. You know what? When we pray, we live. Because the portrait of healthy humanity in the Bible is Eden. God, human being, talking. This is not about adding a super spiritual compartment to our lives. This is how we were designed to live. Can I just say about this before we move on? Be realistic about it if you're going to be disciplined. Sometimes what happens is people hear a message on prayer and they move into fantasy commitment like, yes, I'm going to pray for two hours every day this week. I've got a 5-5 challenge for you. Why don't you read the Bible for five minutes and pray for five minutes every day this week? Some of you are going, you are so superficial. Just five, you know what? You might think that's nothing, but for some of us, it'll be ten minutes more than we usually spend. How many know it's better to spend ten minutes disciplined than to believe you should spend an hour but not spend any time? I know that's pretty straightforward logic, but sometimes we miss out on it and we live in fantasy commitment. How about the 5-5 challenge? Secondly, know that there will be struggles, including unanswered prayer. There will be struggles, including unanswered prayer. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then Dr. Luke, with his medical mind over in Luke 22, he says, And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like great drops of blood, or drops of blood falling to the ground. Uh, This might have been hematohydrosis, where... Uh, around the sweat glands there are multiple blood vessels which constrict and produce this physiological reaction it looks like you're sweating blood it might be a a metaphorical statement about the pressure and the sweat that Jesus uh, was producing if you will but it's a battle and there's a battle with sleep going on as well because these disciples they just keep falling asleep if that one thing that the disciples are excellent at is sleeping during important moments. They are gifted in that area. Like the Transfiguration, which was one of the biggest events in cosmic history, because there's Jesus, and there's Moses, and there's an Elijah. I wouldn't want to miss that show. They're sleeping. Luke chapter 9. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men standing with him. You know what? This cheers me up no end. Makes me feel better about myself because I fall asleep when I pray. What happens to me, it happened again this morning, actually. Because, see, here's what preachers do. Here's a little tip for you. What preachers tend to do to make themselves look better is that they describe their struggles as if they were 20 years ago. Yes, when I was young and foolish, this happened to me. What happened this morning? What happens to me is I wake up, my alarm clock, I set my alarm clock on Sunday mornings at a ridiculous hour. I'm going to wake up, I'm going to pray, I'm going to work out. My alarm clock has a demonic manifestation. It is evil. I slap it. And I'm lying there and I'm thinking, I want to pray. And I'm thinking, it's warm in this bed. 
It's cold in this bedroom. Kay, who is in this service, I need to be careful what I'm about to say, but she is fast asleep because she's not nearly as godly as me, and I'm just lying there. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Now I'm lying there and I think, I, I can pray in bed. In fact, the Bible says, blessed are they who meditate upon the Lord upon their beds. <laughs> it's biblical. I've got that verse tattooed on my pajamas. So I'm lying there and I start praying, oh God bless the day and, 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 and then I start to go to sleep. You ever do this? And I'm praying, but I'm sleeping and I'm praying and I'm sleeping. And now I'm praying and sleeping, so now I'm praying stupid stuff. <laughs> you ever do this? One morning I was lying there and praying and Suddenly, Disneyland came into my mind. So, I, this is absolutely true. So, I start praying for Disneyland. Oh, God, bless Disneyland. Bless Disneyland. <laughs> and then Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck came into my mind. And so, I suddenly sat up in bed and with a loud voice, I said, Oh, God, save that duck. Now, some of you are looking at me kind of weird, but I want you to know, if that duck becomes a Christian, <laughs> it can be a struggle. Why did I tell you that? Because I'd, I'd like you to think I'm not quite as stupid as you thought I was. And I can, I can almost sense one or two of you sitting there and you're kind of doing that horsey thing. <sighs> I'm just fed up listening to preachers that make it sound so easy. And because they stand on a platform, they've lost their capacity to have their feet on the ground. I don't think it's the same. I think that I think that being an example is not the same as presenting an image. And yeah, I fall asleep when I pray. It can be a struggle. And it can be a struggle with unanswered prayer as well. Get this, everybody. Jesus asks the Father for the same thing three times and he doesn't get what he wants. But know this. Because you don't get what you ask for in prayer doesn't mean you haven't been heard. Look at Hebrews chapter... Chapter 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. You see, don't think that just because you don't get what you ask for doesn't mean that you've been, that that means that you've been ignored or not heard. And I know that's difficult. And I want to portray accurately the struggle. But it's a worthwhile struggle. Number three, shared prayer can be a vital lifeline. Shared prayer can be a vital lifeline. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The word watch there doesn't mean that Jesus was posting sentries. No. He was saying to his friends, I need you with me. Keep vigil with me. Jesus needed his friends. 
Every now and again, I know you'll be shocked by this, but every now and again I say something when I'm preaching or I write something in a book and it gets me into trouble. I know you're shocked by that. Oh no, I hear you cry. But it happens. I got into a lot of trouble about two years ago because I write daily Bible reading notes. And in the daily Bible reading notes, I wrote, Jesus is not all I need. I need my friends too. People freaked out. I got emails. How dare you say that Jesus is not all you need? Well, Jesus has made me to need him and to need you. How can one member of the body say to another, I have no need of you, says the Bible. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus needed his friends. Imagine it. Jesus says to Peter, James and John, watch and pray. And they say, it's all right, Lord. It's all right, Jesus, because you've got Jesus. You've got yourself. So it's cool. No, he needed his friends. Let me ask this question. It's not enough to have friends. Do we have friends who can pray with us? If we don't, let's develop those kind of relationships. Praying friendships. A couple of tips about that. First of all, be natural. If you're going to pray with a friend, don't make a big song and dance about it. Let us now pray together. Use your normal voice. You ever met Christians like that? They, they got a normal voice till they pray and suddenly it's in the name of Jesus. Just be natural. And then if you've got a friend who says, can we pray, don't make a big deal in response. Don't go, whoa, you're being spiritual, aren't you? Didn't know I was having a cheeseburger with John the Baptist. And here's a little tip as well. If you're chatting about stuff and then you decide to pray, don't feel the need to tell God what you've just been talking about as if he was outside while you were talking about it. Like, Lord, as you probably don't know, he was there. That's what we do. Present this in prayer to him. If and when you hit Gethsemane. In this life, it's not if, it's when. Without sounding like something from a famous movie, who are you going to call? I love that. Friends. Friends. But not just friends. Friends who can pray with us. Number four. Prayer is the place of surrender. Prayer is the place of surrender. Verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You see, here's the difference between prayer and magic. Magic seeks to control cosmic powers. Prayer seeks to surrender to the will of God. Surrender, surrender. Now that's not a popular message, is it? Let me tell you what the popular message is in our culture. Just do it. That's the popular message. In fact, the implication is, if you don't just do it, oh my goodness, you're going to be a deficient human being if you have to say no to anything. 
Hollywood has created this graduation weekend. Please know that Hollywood has created a whole new species of male men who have never graduated from college, but they're 45 years old. And they take road trips and they sleep around and they drink way too much and they're like they're members of a really dysfunctional frat house. But they're in their mid-40s. You want to grab them by the ears and say, grow up! When are you going to graduate? What is it about our culture where we've we kind of always, we're always saying no to saying no. Why is it that virginity is something that is mocked in our culture as if there's something deficient or wrong? C.S. Lewis says there are two kinds of people in this world, those to whom God must say, have it your way, and those who say to God, thy will be done. Surrender. Surrender. And as we surrender, let's pick up the words of Jesus. My father, my father. He's not surrendering to a, to a tyrant, to a despot, but he's surrendering to his father. You know, one of the bad things that preachers sometimes say is, is this. They say, God is like your dad. You know, that's really unhelpful if your dad was absentee or abusive. Jesus never taught God is like your dad. Jesus taught God is not like your dad. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That's not God is like your dad. That is God is like a dad that you have never, ever imagined. We submit to his fatherhood. Jim Packer says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means they don't understand Christianity very well. Jesus, it took him three times, three episodes of prayer, as he wrestles his way into submission to the Father, saying, your will be done. I mean, are we... Is that foreign to us? Submission? Obedience, saying no because we want to say yes to something better. But the last thing is this, on our knees we stand. On our knees we stand. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. When I was young, I got some advice that wasn't very good. Someone said to me, don't reinvent the wheel. Really? If we hadn't reinvented the wheel, we'd all be driving around in cars with stone circles. We need to reinvent the wheel. Someone else said, uh, don't go overboard. Yeah, don't go, tell that to Peter in a boat. And someone else said, stand on your own two feet. Terrible advice. We were never designed, ladies and gentlemen, to stand on our own two feet. We were designed to stand on our knees. Jesus falls on his face before the Father. It's the only time in the New Testament he does that. Others fall before him. But he's on his knees. And then he stirs the slumbering disciples and says, Arise.
let's go. On his knees, if you will, he stands. Sarah Kelly is a big favorite here at Timberline. She often comes to visit us, and she's not here in person today. Sarah's been through her own difficult journey as a follower of Jesus, and she continues to be uh, a great worshiper of him, loves the Lord. And she wrote an amazing song, I think, called Standing on My Knees. We're going to do something different as we conclude this time. Yes, we are going to pray in a few moments, but I want you to put your Bible down, your, your coffee cup, your bulletin, and sit back and just reflect and listen to the heartbeat of a young lady who is not trite or naive, but has gone through her own difficulties, but her conclusion is that she can stand on her knees, and so can we. Take, take a listen to Sarah. Swept away like a hurricane, but I landed on my feet. It happened fast, and all I know is I'm where I need to be. Yeah, I'm where I need to be.
us pray. Lord, as we've gathered around your word this morning, we see Jesus under a pressure that we cannot comprehend, and yet we see him in prayer. We see him gathering friends around him. We see him submitting to the will of the Father. We want to be people who learn how to stand on our knees with the disciples who are so often sleepy. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to say to you, teach us how to pray. Lord, in this moment, at 11 a.m. Sunday morning, we bring to you the things that weigh most heavily upon us. We deliberately and consciously bring them to mind, not to weigh ourselves down, but to bring them to you. Here they are. Would you please show us how to replace anxiety with prayer? pray for each other this weekend for those who find themselves especially facing great challenges strengthen them by your spirit and strengthen them through friendship we pray so we give you thanks in Jesus name Amen you know, before we, uh, before we give together, I need to tell you that at the end of this service, there'll be folks along the front here. When we dismiss, there'll be people, they'll come and stand here. You know, you know what they're doing here? They're prayer team members. They're here. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, if you want to clarify things, if you want prayer for anything, these folks are deliberately offering themselves to serve you in that way. So please make use of that if you would like. the sun is going to shine for another seven minutes beyond that who knows so get the grill out quick God bless you have a wonderful weekend you're greatly loved